Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. I speak today to Peter Dazzler, who's the CEO of Can Alaska, their uranium explorer with assets in and around the Athabasca Basin. They've been at this for some time, though, with a market cap of eight million bucks and cash of 1.5 million bucks. We asked them what their plans are. They have previously engaged with a JV type model. Uh, we look at what the future holds and discuss their business plan and you know whether or not they just hunker down. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, Peter. How are you, sir? Well, I'm great, Matt. Uh, I've been in isolation here uh, in Vancouver, um, but uh, our community is reasonably safe, and tomorrow we're starting to open up the community. So um, we've been through some trying times. Everyone has, and uh, and certainly the world's going to be very different over the next uh, years. And uh, but I think uh, where we're placed with Can Alaska will be quite interesting. Yeah, I think that, never a truer word. Um, well, look, why don't we before we get stuck into your business plan and what you you know what your hopes are for this year? Why don't you give people that one minute overview, and then we can get stuck into it. Yes, uh, Can Alaska has been involved in uh, uranium exploration in the Athabasca since two thousand and four. Uh, we have uh, three uh, partners at the moment, uh, Cameco, Denison, and Northern Uranium. And we have about 500,000 acres of land uh, in 12 projects. The most significant uh, events over the last two years have been the discovery of high-grade uranium on our West MacArthur property. And then uh, recently, uh, us uh, doing deals on our nickel projects and, uh, and, and uh, raising funds to go out and drill the targets that we've got at West MacArthur. Brilliant, great summary. Um, first of all, I just want to understand your, your your business model. And I've been reading up your verse on your verse material. You talk about yourself being a project generator, but also an explorer. Which is it? Well, uh, I, I'm a geologist, and uh, and I work with a group of other geologists and geophysicists. Uh, we've, we've been explorers uh, on our own rights uh, for the last 40 years. Uh, most of us uh, have been in the industry that long. And we've seen lots of opportunities in Canada for new discoveries. It was in 2004 when we said, let's uh, have a look at the uranium market. It's moving. Uh, my partner, Carl Schiemann, had been uh, very successful in drilling the first holes at uh, Cigar Lake and running operations for the French giant. And so we acquired some uranium projects in the basin. Um, we were rapidly approached by other groups to share those projects, and that really became the, the, the project generation uh, uh, description of our company. Um, our focus has always been to go find a new uranium zone, a bit like MacArthur River or Cigar Lake. Um, but we had two and a half million acres of land uh, that was sufficient to bring in new partners from Korea. The Korean government uh, subsidized work by Hanwha, SK, and, and uh, Korean Resources Corporation. And then Mitsubishi Corporation formed uh, um, SK, uh, um, MC Resources in Canada and funded uh, exploration of properties. So people were trying to name what we were. Uh, we're explorers, uh, we're geologists, we're definitely explorers by nature, uh, but became project generators because we had more projects than we could handle ourselves and we needed to finance them. 
uh, all told about uh, $50 million went into the ground to outline targets uh, on our uranium properties. Uh, and then uh, uh, when we uh, saw the market slowing down in 2016, we had an opportunity to buy out Mitsubishi on a, on a discovery property with MacArthur. A month later, did a deal with Cameco Corporation. Um, so we've concentrated on dealing our uranium properties. In between, uh, we saw an opportunity for a diamond exploration in the Athabasca, and we did a significant deal with De Beers of Canada. Um, more recently, uh, you know, the uranium market was down a bit, and uh, we'd seen an opportunity four years ago to pick up nickel properties. Uh, in an April this year, we dealt off uh, two of our major nickel properties to a company that's uh, 30% controlled by Robert Friedland. It's in the, the Thompson Nickel Valley. So, um, yes, we're explorers. We want to find things. We realize we don't have enough money to do it ourselves in a $9 million company. Uh, so we go out and find partners uh, to help us explore. But generally, in these cases, we do the exploration for them. Um, so uh, that's the project generator model that uh, we run to. Uh, we see lots of opportunities, uh, but we need that funding from outside. Otherwise, our shareholders will become too diluted. And uh, that's not something we want to do. We've got a 57 million share company, and uh, we've got cash, we've got projects, and we've got a market this turning. Okay, a lot of things covered there, um, but you hit the nail on the head there with one point. You're a you know, $9 million company. You're sitting on a lot of land bank. Um, you need to bring partners in to finance that. But the other part of that equation is you don't want to dilute shareholders, but at the same time you do want to create value. So how do you create value? or Why haven't you created value? It's $9 million bucks today. With all of the names that you've just dropped on the table, shouldn't this company be worth a lot more? Well, we all think the company should be worth a lot more. Uh, we, we had a brief foray up to uh, $30, 40000000 million market capitalization, uh, which is where uh, just a bit below what we were sitting pre-Fukushima. Uh, we've seen a tremendous malaise uh, in the uranium market. Uh, for some time there, uh, uh, we didn't have a financial partner. Uh, uh, Dundee used to be our 15% uh, owner and supporter in the market and they immediately sold out out to Fukushima. So we were sitting with only our existing shareholders, our small retailer shareholders, until uh, about a year ago when uh, Sprott came in with Rick Raw with a bunch of shareholders, and that allowed us to restart our operations. Uh, we took control of the West MacArthur project. Uh, we extended the discovery that Cameco had made. Uh, we were drilling 8% uranium mineralization. Um, and we should have uh, responded a lot more, and I'm not really sure why uh, why we couldn't get back to that 30 or 40 million market capitalization. Uh, we did do a tremendous amount of trading, uh, uh, but a lot of that trading was trading us down. So I, I, there, there were strange things happening in the market. I, I mentioned that to you before. I think now the market's settled down. Uh, we've got a market that's increasing for uranium. And so that $9 million, I think uh, the market capitalization is going to disappear behind us as people start to see that uh, nuclear power takes uh, more uranium and we don't have enough of it in the market at the moment. So um, it's early days, good time for investors to get in. Uh, the last month we've been doing some significant trading, uh, averaging several hundred thousand shares per day. And so I think there's opportunities there for shareholders to help us grow this company. Yeah, but the, the, the company itself hasn't really sort of seen those 
dizzy heights of you know 30 40 million bucks since mid 2016 and since then it's been sort of a you know a little bit higher than you are now so do you think the business model is is right or do you think it's just the fact that the market was depressed for uranium during that period and you weren't able to do much people weren't attracted to the story and if I look at the share price today, you know, it's, it seems to be more more of the same. You know, how do you how do you kind of break that mold? How do you get people excited about what you've got? We've got four thousand shareholders who uh, are holding our stock. Uh, they do call, they email, they write in. Uh, they're very patient shareholders. Uh, uh, they like what we've done. So we've got this solid base of shareholders. What we really need to do is find more people in the resource industry. Uh, you know, for the last uh, five or six years, the resource industry has uh, the returns have paled in comparison to what you could get in marijuana and uh, Bitcoin or whatever other uh, latest fad there was. And, and I can understand why people put their money somewhere else. But there's been a significant change in the uranium market, even in the last month and a half, even in the last month. Uh, we've seen the U.S. come out very strongly saying, listen, we need to support our nuclear industry. We need to grow our nuclear industry. We need to export our nuclear technology. And here's a, here's a country that consumes, you know, almost uh, 40 million pounds of uranium per year, uh, and, and they don't really produce any of their own. Uh, we sit next door to them. Uh, we, I, I noted in the, in the correspondence that came out over the last month and earlier comments in January, that the Canadian government was looking to work with the U.S. government. And then in the uh, U.S. paper that came out here, uh, I see that the U.S. is going to work with its allies. So I, I think there's going to be a focus on Canadian uranium just as much as anything else. And uh, because the existing mines have shut down and anticipating a, or waiting to get a new higher price, um, I think as that higher price comes in, we'll see a lot of new investors. Uh, we may even see people from who have invested in completely other industries saying, well, what about resources? Where can we put our money that's uh, likely to grow? And I know the bricks and mortar is uh, out there with new nuclear power plants, um, but I also know that we only producing about half the amount of uranium that's going to be needed for them. Okay. So okay, I, I do buy into the macro story, I really do. You know, we've, we've interviewed a lot of the great and the good in, in the uranium space, and I think it's a well-told well story. But let's come back to your model, where you think you're going to insert yourself, because, you know, you, I, how much cash have you got? Let me just ask that quickly. We're, we're, we're sitting on $1.5 million cash. Uh, we've cut back a number of costs uh, since our drill program. We curtailed that a bit early because of uh, COVID. Uh, and we're sitting with a drill rig uh, up in the field, with a camp up in the field, which we could mobilize to later in the summer, but it's now looking, looking less and less likely. But I think we've got a project now that we've advanced to the stage where a number of other groups that are uh, in the uranium space or want to get into the uranium space will look seriously at what we've been able to do over the last three years. Uh, we've drilled into very high-grade uranium, right next door to the world's largest, biggest uranium mine of West MacArthur. But, you know, very, very close, uh, two and a half kilometers away and on the same structure as the latest discovery in the Athabasca, that's Fox Lake. We have a new discovery in the Athabasca, and it looks like it could be very big. Uh, additionally, uh, just uh, last week, we announced uh, another 
100 square miles of land uh, that we were able to acquire when the claims that were overlying that expired. Um, the piece of ground that we'd sat on for uh, looking at for four years and uh, when the claims expired, our team got in there very quickly, uh, got four new large land positions, uh, you know, 1.4% uranium at surface on targets that had had the first pass expiration, but targets that we're very familiar with. So that gave us a new portfolio uh, advantage, a very shallow on-surface uranium mineralization to match with our deeper, high-grade, large-scale targets. And so I think we've got an attractive portfolio of projects for people to come in and uh, either work with us on them or help us finance. But I, I don't think your problem is land banking or projects. Enough projects. You've got a lot of those already. I think, I guess people are wanting to see, you know, how do you set up or structure a deal? Because you're working with Cameco, Denison, um, Northern, you know, you, you, you've got all the people looking at you. You're able to have those conversations, but how do you construct them in a way, or how would you construct them going forward in a way which is going to benefit your shareholders today? You know, how do you get money up front, how do you retain larger positions in, in these joint ventures? Because if it's more of the same, then you know we can expect more of the same in terms of the you know share performance. So what what are you what are you changing? Um, we're out there reaching more people uh, today than we've reached in the last four or five years. There, there was a there was a deaf uh, deafness to the uranium business. Uh, but prior to that, we were able to talk to uh, Asian groups that were interested in in finding or, or land banking uh, uranium uh, for future use. Uh, that was quite evident when we were working with Mitsubishi. Uh, they uh, liked what we had in place. Uh, they saw the opportunity for more discoveries, and uh, they joined in on this one project, the West MacArthur. I think there's opportunities if we go back into Asia uh, to look for partners that are saying, look, in two or three or four years, we understand the uranium market is going to change. Where can we explore for uranium? Uh, the Athabasca is a very rich area of uranium. Uh, what have you got? And I can say, well, our projects are in good standing for two to 15 years. Uh, uh, we understand where the targets are. What, uh, what What is your uh, ability to finance over the next little while? Because we think we can find uh, more of these 100 million pound plus deposits. Uh, and now we can offer them a portfolio of what would you like? Do you, do you like something on surface or something that's depth? Uh, either side of the ground that we just staked, we already dealt uh, two projects to Chinese interests. Uh, uh, we sold uh, two projects, one at Collins Bay and one up just northwest of where we are now uh, to Chinese companies uh, through 2010 to 13. So I think uh, now with new discoveries and new targets, I think we can find new partners. Okay, but what are you going to do different in terms of constructing constructing those deals? Because, you know, Cameco's not doing very much at the moment. Denison's not doing very much at the moment. We have spoken to companies who are partnering with some big names, but they're not spending money. No one's, you know, putting, putting uh, dollars in the ground. And obviously, if your partners aren't doing that, you're not accreting value uh, if they're not doing anything with, with these contracts. So what are you looking to construct going forward, which is going to be, you know, better in terms of what it does for the company? 
Well, I think it worked very well for us uh, last time when we had uh, when we had a rising uranium market, and I think we have a rising uranium market now. I don't think we need to change the the model at all. Uh, we're not pressured to do work on these properties. We'll be able to keep our team together, uh, drilling through uh, January, February. Uh, Corey, uh, who came over from Cameco's side, uh, is working full time on on putting together the targets on these northern properties, but also getting ready. Uh, of course, we, we do expect that we'll be working for uh, Fiordland on a nickel project. So we'll keep that team together on side projects. But at the same time, going back to that long list of names that we had that we approached previously and said, look, you know that the price of uranium is going to change. You know what the demand numbers are. Um, we have new projects that uh, if you would like your own uranium mine, we will help you work in Canada. Uh, we will put our teams on the ground for you. And your funding requirements will be in the region of 2 to 5 to 10 to $20 million. Uh, those are the types of numbers you need to put in to make discoveries at shallower depth. And and I think we can attract that over the next 6 to 12 months. If we just focus on that, um, we don't need a lot of funds to do that. We don't have funds, and, uh, but we've got the names that we want to contact. You guys, well, all, everyone in the uranium space called it wrong for the last 12, 24 months. You're saying the same things now you have for the last 24 months, right? Why now? Why do you think it's now? Is COVID literally the savior for the uranium space because of the, the shutdowns with, you know, Cameco and Kazatomprom and um, Namibia? Well, I think Namibia back up now, but is, is that what it, it took to get people's attention? Um, I, I think people's attention has been there, but they've been able to play waiting games. I think those waiting games uh, are getting a lot hotter for people. It's a hot potato. Uh, we've seen uh, the U.S. say, look, we're going to put $150 million into buying U.S. uranium. You know, if that was 10% of the uranium, that's another three or four million pounds of uranium. If the U.S. says, well, we'll pay uh, $40 a pound for that, then, uh, then that's fine. It starts to establish higher prices. Once, once you get this thing rolling, it will move very quickly. Um, I saw it move very quickly from $7 to $25, $35 a pound, and I thought previously it would stick at somewhere between $35 and $60 a pound, and it shot to $140. The, the resource industry is really quite a small industry, and when outside interests take come in and want to put money into there, uh, there are very few players, and I think uh, the People will uh, buy up uranium out of the market to, just to make this situation more interesting. And uh, and I think once that uranium price has that role, that momentum, uh, we're all in business in the uranium market. And, and people will come on want to find land and they want to make new discoveries because the bricks and mortar are, are there. We know the demand for the U.S. We know the demand for Asia. We know the demand for the Middle East. This is... This is a huge market that we just don't have enough uranium. And if we can come into the Athabasca and find new discoveries, you know, for, for about $15,000, uh, we acquired over 100, uh, 100 square miles of land with 1% uranium showings on surface. Uh, major structures that looked like the adjacent mines, which were 100 million pound mines. Um, I think the world's changed. Uh, to pay attention to resources, to pay attention to things that are important uh, in terms of keeping the lights on, literally. 
and uh, we're positioned there. I don't need to change the business model. It worked very well. Uh, I just need to maintain the team that we've got, and we're doing that very well, and maintain cash in the treasury, which we've been able to do very well over the last uh, five or six years, even though we had a downturn in the industry. Okay, so given the market that you were describing of the, of the near future, um, are you going to be able to go and raise capital to continue the exploration component rather than the project generator side of things? Are you, do you think that the, the money's going to be there for you? Have you been able to demonstrate that you, you know, spent money wisely, intelligently um, in exploration? I, I think our team's done an excellent job. And, and I'd like to compare us to where we were, uh, well, where NextGen was uh, back about seven years ago. Um, you know, the first uh, five or six, eight, ten holes in NextGen's property indicated that there was uranium mineralization there. And then uh, the market moved them from a $20 million share dollar company to a billion-dollar company with uh, new discoveries. Uh, we're at the same stage in terms of we're drilling into a target that's very large. We're seeing getting three to 500-meter intercepts of one ppm uranium. We're hitting 8% uranium mineralization in the new drill holes at the Unconformity with a large amount of copper. Uh, this last drill program allowed us to fence in the large offset of the Unconformity, this 25-meter uh, offset of the Unconformity. We put out a, an image on our last press release showing that in three dimensions. Um, we're very excited where we can go. We kept the drill rig sitting there and the camp sitting there, uh, expecting that later in this year we'd be able to go back and at least drill one or two holes to finish off the season, if not a few more. And those drill holes can give us further discoveries which will draw the market to us. We know the market does follow discoveries. Um, the, the problem with uh, uh, the, the going back and restarting this year uh, is maybe uh, money related, but I think right now it's more related to uh, making sure that we're not infecting the communities in the north uh, as we try to go back and work. Uh, we do have an isolated camp, it's it is possible, uh, but we'll leave it for another month or so to see really what this uranium market does and see what the price does. And if we can bring in another party that's uh, interested, then uh, uh, we might be able to get started later in the summer or certainly for next year. Okay, so you compared yourself to NextGen there, but you, you guys have been around longer than they have. Um, you know, so what, what do you think gives you the right to compare yourself to them? Why should the market f feel confident when you use that analogy and say we're, we're like NextGen seven years ago? Well, you know, I, I think I bought NextGen when they were uh, about 27 cents. Uh, I saw the first drill hole that went in that showed uh, haloing of uranium mineralization. They hadn't hit the target, uh, but it becomes very obvious to technical people that when you start to see these halos of uranium mineralization, you know that there's a large plumbing system operating that's bringing a lot of uranium to surface. And to see their long intercepts of, of near miss uh, that put me in the game with NextGen a number of years ago. Now, what we're doing is we're we're drilling. We've drilled lots of projects in the in the Athabasca, and there are lots of small projects. But we're drilling, you know, 500, 600 meter intercepts. Uh, in fact, even more than that, uh, uh, with uranium coming right to surface and drill holes. That only happens when you have a tier one type target sitting underneath you. And those tier one type targets, they may only be 100 meters long, 
uh, 200 meters long at the most, uh, but um, we know we're very close to something that looks like the MacArthur River or Cigar Lake because of the high grades we're seeing, the clay alteration we're seeing, and we just only have a dozen holes into it. Uh, we think that uh, we can hit that uh, with the next group programs. Uh, we aim to do that this summer, but we actually winter, but we close down early. Um, I, I compare us because of the technical similarities and then what the market did when that next step happened, when they actually drilled into the major structure that was carrying the uranium deposit. So why couldn't you go and raise the money to do that yourself? Why, why talk about bringing a partner in? Well, you can do that. Um, probably uh, it would require a large amount of dilution and with a 15 cent stock at the moment. And uh, I think our shareholders would prefer us to sit on the sidelines a little bit further and really see what happens uh, with the uranium price. It's very, very early days. We're probably 60 days into that price move. And uh, we've got another uh, May, June, July uh, to see where things are going to go. I think the next three months uh, are going to be very uh, interesting for the uranium price. Um, our partners uh, uh, sit down with us on the 27th of May here to, to run over the drill programs uh, for uh, West MacArthur. And then I'm also expecting uh, other meetings with, uh, with Fjordland's partners, uh, their technical team, to, to look at the nickel space. But uh, I think just give it a little bit of time. I don't want to finance at 15 cents. Yeah, okay. I think that's interesting. I mean, what, have you ever considered just... Don't do any drilling. Wait till the price does recover, because you're not going to hit this cycle anyway. So why why not preserve your 1.5 million bucks and sit back and hunker down? Well, well, I think with the changes that have gone on in the market over the last little while, uh, yes, we should see what those changes come out with over the next month or two. Um, when we were going into the program in December, we're saying, well, we're not quite sure what uh, 2020 will be like, but we have a target. We'd like to go and drill. So we did finance and we did go and start drilling. Um, but significant things changed. And, and I think uh, it behoves us to sit back a little bit for a month or two. As I said, we, we have no pressure on us in terms of assessment work for any of these projects. Uh, we're able to compile a lot more data and show this to people uh, showing the, you know, the style of the target. And um, I, I think another month or so's wait might be well worthwhile. Okay, brilliant. Can we talk about nickel? Because you're, you're a uranium guy, but the Thompson nickel belt, <laughs> it's uh, not insignificant. Mm -hmm. um, you came across that. You're, you know you're not nickel, guys. It's, it's a very much sort, well, sought after commodity at the moment with the whole EV thematic going on. Well, maybe not for the next few months because of COVID, but um, it had good grades. What, how, how did you, what did you decide to do when you saw that? I mean, what, what, was the, what were the choices available? Well, you know, um, we, we were stuck uh, with a very low uranium price and, and very little interest in the uranium market. And, uh, and you know, our technical group said, well, look, there, there are lots of other things uh, available in Canada for us to look for. I said, I'd like to really stay in, uh, you know, clean energy, battery metals. Uh, but I pointed out to the team that the, a lot of the claims in the Thompson Nickel Belt uh, had held, been held or the license had been held by 50 or, for 50 or 60 years and they were due to expire. There must be some opportunities there. 
And uh, we, for a very small amount of money, we were able to stake some ground north of the Thompson uh, uh, smelter complex um, on ground that, that looked really quite good. It had some old drill intercepts with 1% and 2% uh, nickel mineralization. It took about two years of part-time work assembling the data and assembling and putting together the Manorbridge project but it was something that was well worthwhile because uh, about a year ago, and in August last year, uh, I managed to call on a Robert Friedland at the Sprott conference and, and point out to him that uh, we had a, a, a series of nickel projects in the Thompson Belt. This is the fifth largest nickel belt in the world. Uh, he's a big uh, nickel fan, and he had been working very intently over at Boise's Bay uh, with Fjordland uh, looking for new nickel discoveries. And um, we ended up doing a $9 million earn-in deal with uh, Fjordland now on uh, two of our projects in the northern part of the belt. And um, I, the technical team will meet with us over the next uh, month and uh, we'll plan a program of work for there. Um, it wasn't a core thing for us to do. It was a sideline while the uranium market was down. But it became extremely fascinating. When you see a belt of rocks, that are hugely rich in uranium, uh, nickel mineralization. And, uh, and you see the claims that were established back in the 1950s expiring, and you see this cursory amount of work that was done, uh, but some very high-grade old drill holes. Uh, it was just uh, it was something we had to move forward on. So we've done one deal on two of the properties. We've consolidated the, the uh, Manor Bridge mine. We drilled some very high-grade nickel there, uh, eight nine percent nickel, but a lot of uh, two three five percent nickel, and uh, and I think that project will become interesting to somebody else. And again, all of these deals we do expose us to other companies' assets. We're now well exposed to uh, Fjordland's uh, nickel assets in Boise's Bay. If we can do a, de a deal on our uh, Manorbridge project next. Uh, and we are talking to several parties, uh, then we might get exposure to something else that they're dealing with, and then we'll play catch-up in the uranium space. Okay. Keeps our team active, mm -hmm. it's treasury. Well, tell me about the deal. Tell me, how is that structured? There's, there's, a, there's a $9 million program, but what does it mean for you financially? Do you, do you get cash in? I mean, how did you construct that deal? Most of the deals are uh, people pay you some cash, uh, they give you some shares, and then they spend work on the ground. Um, over the next six years, they're, they're committed there to put in that $9 million or else they don't earn their 80% interest. Um, if they don't pay us the $100,000 that they said they're going to give us, they don't earn any interest. But they've, they've put enough money up, they've actually put $25,000 up and we use that money to stake some uh, uh, uranium claims in the Athabasca. But they put that money up. And now we get to use our team this year and next year uh, through stages one and two. We will use our team to carry out their work. And of course, with that as operator, you, you take an operator's fee of 10% uh, on the programs that are carried out. So of that $9 million, uh, uh, we will get the first two years uh, as fees. Uh, we'll get the expenses paid for our exploration crews. Uh, we'll keep our team active. And we'll probably see uh, other opportunities uh, with this group uh, as we go forward. So it's it's a matter of keeping active. Uh, we'll end up with 20% of whatever they discover, which we'll, we'll be able to, to sell at any time too. 
But you, you, and you carried on all of this as well, are you, on your 20%? Carried through to $9 million for the work. And then uh, up to $9 million, we expected that we'd have either a significant discovery or a bail of walk. Uh, with a significant discovery, that discovery has some value if we want to sell out 20% interest. Uh, we get a bonus of 10 million shares uh, of their company uh, if uh, if this goes to feasibility, a positive feasibility. So basically, uh, they pay for all the exploration work uh, on targets that were generated uh, by our team over the space of three or four years. Um, but they're very significant targets. Uh, they didn't come into here thinking that they were small targets. Uh, they did a lot of homework on this. These are big targets. Okay. Peter, good rundown. Good rundown. I like to say, I think there's a few things you need to wait around for with regards to the uranium market. Um, nickel potentially could be quite exciting if if they put the money in the ground. Got six years to do it though. Um, could they do that quicker? Yes, they can. Uh, they, they can do it at any, any speed they want. The, uh, the first targets are, are very large. They're near surface. Uh, they have all the response characteristics of the nearby uh, uh, mines, uh, the, you know, the Thompson, the series of mines around Thompson. Um, it would not take a lot of drilling to drill into those first targets. And if that happens, uh, then I expect to see the money uh, flow very quickly. Uh, we are talking with a group that are very good technically. Uh, they're good corporate people, and they're certainly uh, well backed uh, on the financial end. So um, that's something that uh, will come out in the wash for our shareholders. Uh, but in the meantime, I think the the three month uh, catch up now is everybody comes out of uh, out of the COVID uh, isolation. Uh, we start to see people wanting to put money into other uh, businesses. Uh, I think the resource industry will do very well. I think there'll be more people in anticipation of a uranium mine rise uh, buying into uranium companies. And I just want to point out, we've got a $9 million company that, that has come down from its high of uh, 30 or $40 million. And uh, I think we're poised, uh, along with the best of them, to go make a discovery. Great way to finish. Thanks, Peter. I appreciate your time today. Stay in touch. Let us know how you get on. Excellent. Matthew, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. Uh, I like your uh, series, so uh, uh, I look forward to chatting with you again. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.